Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Morning, young Trish. How are you today? I'm very good. I'm still recovering from... A strange fashion episode I had yesterday, which I've, I've been saving episode. to tell you about. <laughs> had an episode. <laughs> Went to pick up my 83-year-old dad for a day out, taking him out for the day. Oh, lovely dad. Popped in the back door, as you do. He's wearing the same outfit as me. <laughs> no. Yes. I turn up. Oh, no. I know. In a pair of trouser jeans, um, like, you know, those nice trousery kind of jeans I have, dark jeans. Yeah. A cashmere navy jumper crew neck with a little sort of, you know, like little Princess Diana pie, what are they called? Pie crust, pie crust collar. Thought it looked quite chic, you know, for the day out. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He's wearing navy blue round neck jumper with a shirt underneath and dark blue trousers that could be jeans. So we went out as a pair of twins. (laughs) I thought you were going to say that when you were a child, you had to wear the same claymate. Your parents made you wear the same clothes as them, like some of those funny, super religious families (laughs) or something like that. Not quite that bad, but maybe that's the way it's going in the final years. Do you think it's happened because of the garden centre giving you a discount for being over 50 without asking you how old you were? It could be. It yeah. could be, couldn't it? And I suddenly, my fashion is morphing into OAP land. Well, there we go. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. And I'm Trish Halpin. If you're living in a hormonal hothouse, feeling a bit overwhelmed and in need of some positive, uplifting and comforting guidance on how to lead a more magnificent midlife, then this is the show for you. We chat to celebrities and experts on all things midlife, from menopause and perimenopause to parenting teens, via fashion, beauty, wellness, nutrition, fitness careers, relationships, caring for elderly relatives and your finances. Yes, we ask experts and famous guests all the questions you need answered to have a happier, healthier and more harmonious second act. So we have made it to the end of season eight, Trish. This is our last show. We're going off on a little holiday, aren't we, before we begin season nine of Postcards from Midlife. I'm going to be out among the ankle slappers in Cornwall, Trish. Do you know what they are? (laughs) I don't. I dread to think. I'm guessing, is it something to do with donkeys? Because you're always involved with donkeys down in that part of the world. Your parents were very fond of them, weren't they? My dad does love a donkey. No, they are waves. Ankle slappers are waves. Um, In fact, they're very small waves, Trish. Um, And because I'm a lifelong beginner when it comes to surfing, they've got to be near to my ankle in order for me to deal with them. Anything bigger and I can't handle it. Where are you going to be headed on your break? Are you off on a murder mystery cruise? Will you be wrestling crocodiles in the cage of death in Australia? (laughs) White knuckle rafting down the Cotahousi River in Peru? I can see you doing all those things. Oh, wow going to add those to my bucket list. Now, I'm going to Sky in the Inner Hebrides. That's ah. exciting, isn't it? And um, 
It makes me think of a song. It's something I used to have to play on the recorder. Well, I was going to do a Scottish accent. Go on then. There's been a murder. That's, oh. that's all I know. Tag it. <laughs> I don't think he was on Sky, was he? I think the nearest we've got is Shetland, that uh, crime show. What happens on Sky? Well, on Sky, it's all like, might do a little bit of outdoor swimming if it's not too cold, bit of dog walking, bit of Good. driving around, looking at nice things, but uh, very nice. But yes, now, inspired by my recorder playing when I was about six, Speed Bonnie Boat. Do you remember that? Did you have to do that? No. And we're going on a tangent. Should we just get back to the order of the day? Keep keep back. We're going to be talking of trips because I've got something I've got to remind our lovely listeners to do when it comes to holidays. We have teamed up with the travel company Saw Days to find out more about your midlife vacations. Now, my lovely listeners, if you had a moment and you wanted to win £500 towards a Saw Day trip, could you pop onto our private Facebook group, Postcards from Midlife, and fill in our survey, which we're doing with Saw Days. It only takes a few minutes. We're going to put the link up again, but if you look at the features section at the top of our Facebook page and then scroll down, you will see the Saw Days giveaway and survey. Yes, a big thank you in advance for doing that and a huge thank you to everyone who has bought a ticket to come and see us at Postcards from Midlife Live at London's Business Design Centre on the 19th and 20th of May. Have a look at what we've got coming up there on the website, postcardsfrommidlifelive.co.uk. I'm actually really looking forward to that now. I'm very excited. I'm getting my outfits planned. Mm -hmm. Um, But what a season we have had so far, season eight of the podcast. We've looked at everything, haven't we? From how to be more flexible in midlife with movement coach Petra Fisher to snogging Miami Vice's Don (laughs) Johnson with Claire Sweeney via Jane Fallon's cat Pickle and Sophie Ellis-Bexter's sparkly Strictly dress. Yes, and we also discovered how your hormones are affected by what you eat with nutritionist Lenise Brothers, as well as mining clinical psychologist Lisa Damore about how to parent teens well. It's been a lot of laughing and learning, as we call it, this season, hasn't it? Well, it has indeed. And we got to the root of your elasticated waists and, and vests <laughs> sensitivity, didn't we? And you yes. met one of your footballing heroes, Glenn Hoddle, in the infamous cock on a ball episode, yes. as we now refer to it. We've had a book club, a culture club, <laughs> and even our own mini Desert Island Discs. Yes, it's been a blast. And all those escapades are in the archives of, uh, we've got about 132 episodes for you to listen yes. to, if you haven't done them all before. Um, and now, before we interview our last guest, of the season, who I'm very excited about. It's TV's decluttering expert, Dilly Carter. We thought we'd devote a bit of time to our wonderful community. That's you lot. Um, Earlier this season, we asked for your childhood memories on our private Facebook page after we'd interviewed Dr. Richard Restack, the memory specialist for the podcast. He'd just written the complete guide to memory. And given we are often overwhelmed with brain fog at this stage of life, it was lovely to hear your nostalgic recollections. Um, Here's one from Bid, uh, who wrote saying that she remembered collecting all the different coloured sands from Allen Bay Cliffs on the Isle of Wight into a chest tube with a cork bung and all in stripes and then keeping it for years until it (laughs) mixed and merged into one colour. Totally dangerous activity. I think it involves cliffs and, yes, things falling off. Uh, So not permitted anymore, but we'd loved that holiday, she says. Yeah, well, those were different times. There was no health and safety in those days, were there? I like what Vicky wrote. This is what she remembered. She said, walking on a pavement near my house with my dad, eating a packet of cheese and onion crisps, four years old, sun shining, birds tweeting, all was right with the world. That's the dream, isn't it, Trisha? It's like me and you in the garden, isn't it? Crisps, birds wine 
Oh, just crisps. Just yes. crisps, but not cheese and onion, though. I love that she can remember that they were cheese and onion. That is very specific. Um, yeah. Some of the memories are a bit more dramatic. Sarah says she was travelling on her first holiday abroad for her 10th birthday when her parents decided to take an excursion from the hotel and left her older sister, who was 15, looking after her. Not long after they left the hotel, it caught fire. <laughs> and they, she had to evacuate, but <laughs> not before. That's your worst nightmare. It is. And not before her teddies had been rescued and spent... They and the teddy spent the day around the pool with them and then the fire was contained to the lift shaft so it didn't ruin the holiday didn't ruin the holiday no. I once had to evacuate a swimming pool because mm. um, the leisure centre was on fire with all oh. four of my children and oh, they no. gave us those little <laughs> silver blankets and I thought why we should just stay in the water shouldn't we that would make more sense we'll just stay here and they made us stand on the edge of the Holloway Road while oh, they put the fire no. out like um, Emma's recollection made me laugh she wrote, while camping in the Lake District, <laughs> a couple of RAF jets flew by. My mum threw my brother and I to the ground and lay on us like World War Three was starting. <laughs> it's amazing oh, what you remember. I know, it? it's lovely. So thank you for all of those. Um, and also for the new contributions to our ongoing brain fog chart. I feel this should have its own theme tune, like Top of the Pops. I might work on that on my recorder while we're off. Can there. you? I don't know, maybe not. <laughs> Top of the Pops theme tune on recorder. Yes, well, that's probably about all I can just... Well, I can't even play that, really, but never mind. So, should we have some new entries onto the chart? Go we on. have Paula putting her Tupperware containers into the airing cupboard, with her son asking her if they were keeping things in new cupboards now. <laughs> he obviously discovered them in there. Helpful. We also had an incident where there was fabric softener left in the fridge, a remote control in the cutlery drawer, dinner burned to a crisp after being left under a grill. When this listener had forgot she was cooking and went to make the beds instead. Uh, I mean, we've all done various versions of those, haven't we? The triple cooked cheese on toast that you put in oh, on a Monday for God. lunch and get out on a Friday. <laughs> um, Donna, um, one of our nurse listeners, we've got quite a lot of nurse yes. listeners actually, nurses and teachers. She had a bit of a worrying brain fog blooper because she forgot her passcode to her clinic door while she was letting a patient in. That must be absolutely infuriating. I actually went to the Lido this week and I'd forgotten my swim hat and goggles. And I had to borrow a pair from Lost oh. Property, Trish, and they were kids' pirate mm, ones. No. <laughs> yeah. That's because you're small enough to wear them. I know. Isn't you? you don't have a massive big head. <laughs> no, exactly. Now, you remember we also asked on the Facebook group for your dating stories after we had Jane Fallon on the show. She's the best-selling author and her new book, Just Got Real, was all about dating in midlife. And she wrote it after hearing some horror stories about dating from her friends. So we're still getting some of those on the group too. Do you remember the lady who told us her online date had brought a tarantula in the yes. jar to a dinner? I mean, yeah. what? We don't understand the psychology no. of that, do we? Um, and we had Freya North on, didn't we, talking about this one. She was she mentioned the man who she'd been seeing for several months very happily and he suddenly just disappeared. Yes. He just ghosted her. The listeners have had some good ones to share. I'm going to file these under our new motto, which is laugh and learn, because they're inexplicable. Caroline wrote, many years ago, I went out with a guy, the son of a friend of my mum. Already a mistake. <laughs> yes. yes, Caroline, that is a mistake. He spent the evening telling me every meal he had eaten that week, and it wasn't anything fancy either. Ooh. He would say, on Tuesday, let me think, I had a sandwich with ham and pickle. Or was it mustard? And it went on and oh. on. It was very odd. 
<laughs> I have a relative that does that, but I'm not going to say any more. Just not saying any more. But there were some more food-related <laughs> dating disasters. Laura wrote, when I split up with my first husband, I got talking to a guy who said he lived in the big town near me. We'd been talking online and flirting for a few weeks when we met up. When he arrived, he was half my size, half my size, and he had to stand on a step when we were at the bar and I had to crouch down. He then told me he didn't live anywhere near the town we were in. He lived over an hour away. I then asked him what his favourite food was. He said he loved a Frey Bentos pie. I was speechless and I just didn't know how to escape. I like Debbie's story of her date with a man. This is is in inverted commas, invested in jewellery, which um, that sounds like the kind of thing Ray Winston might Mm. say in a film to me. He brought a ring along for me to wear as a special treat during the evening and then asked for it back at the end of the meal. (laughs) I think there is so much more about the male brain we just don't understand, isn't there? But it wasn't all bad news because Jane wrote, Many years ago, I was newly single and contemplating using a dating agency. This was pre-internet. It cost quite a lot of money and I was umming and ahhing for ages. Then I happened to walk past the most beautiful coat in a local shop and decided on a whim to get it. It was really expensive, but I decided I wanted the coat more than the dating agency membership. A few weeks later, I put a free ad in a Lonely Hearts column, arranged a date with a lovely sounding man and wore my new coat. Three years later, we got married. Hurrah. That's good. Hurrah. There is hope for everyone out there. Um, And midlife is such a brilliant time to start a new romance, I think, because you've got, you're filled with all this power and confidence Mm. and experience, aren't you? Trish, do you think Neil could handle um, you if he met you now in midlife? (laughs) I'm not sure he'd be attracted to my eight-year-old dad outfit combos, so I don't know, it might put him off. I might have to up my up my fashion game, get a bit more sexy. We would take those vests off. Sexy clothes, exactly. <laughs> well, anyway, now that we've heard from our listeners, it's time to hear from our guest. And this week, Dilly Carter is coming on to talk about her extraordinary life, which will be quite emotional, I think. It's an amazing story. And she'll also be helping us clear some physical and mental space. She says, when you stop allowing your life to be filled with things that no longer matter, you instantly gain time, space and energy to focus on the things that do. And we talk about this sense of clearing space all the time, don't we, Lorraine? Because we feel it's like a rebirth after, you know, you're going through this liminal time of change and everything. So you you kind of want to get rid of stuff and clear out. You know, we talked about the softening last week or the week before. I think the lightening happens as well. Mm. Because I think we all want to feel not just around our midlife middles. We all Mm. want to feel a little bit lighter around everything in our lives, don't we, as if we're moving more easily through things. I read a really interesting piece that Anne Patchett, the author, she wrote The Dutch House, yes, big fan of Anne Patchett, um, had written for The New Yorker. It was called How to Practice, but it was a very long, beautifully written piece. And she talked about doing the, this exact thing, clearing out her house because she'd cleared out a friend's house. And there was just so much stuff and they just didn't know what to do with it. But it was all this emotional energy was attached to it. It was a very heavy experience. And she said it's one of the, she described it really beautifully. She said, what you've done is collected the tools of adulthood. You've collected them before you felt you were an adult. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So when you get there, you might not need all these tools of adulthood, but Mm -hmm. you're quite attached to them because they represented becoming an adult too. It's like having all, she said she had something like five serving dishes for dinner parties that never happened but what was hanging in the air wasn't the serving dishes it was the dinner parties that never happened because she thought she would have those kind of things when she was an adult but actually she wasn't the kind of person that did dinner parties 
as an adult. So I think it's quite, it's interesting, isn't it? It's just freeing yourself of all yes. that space. We've talked about it with our wardrobes as well, because we had so much attachment to clothes because we worked in fashion for such a long time. Yes, we did indeed. And, and we actually tried out Dilly's seven day seasonal challenge for spring, which she writes about in her new book, Change Your Space. And uh, there's loads and loads of brilliant advice, and she's going to be talking about that in a minute. But we thought we'd talk about what how we found it, because um, day one is about letting the light into each room, stopping things, blocking the light out of windowsills, so clearing windowsills, letting light in. Then you go on and sort out bed linen, vacuuming, sorting your coat, cupboard, your paperwork, the car, your emails. I got on really well with it. I was quite faced by the idea of doing the 30-day challenge that she has in the book, but the seven-day I was quite happy with. But it was the fact that you lose a night, you then have to throw out an item every day. So on the first day, you throw out one item. On the second day, two, three, four, five, six, seven, as you go. And that I thought was going to be really difficult, but it was really easy just to have a rummage around the back of the bathroom cupboard. It's amazing what you find. Didn't get rid of any little furry things. Oh. <laughs> declutter that feline no I didn't actually no (laughs) I thought it was really fascinating because you can look at these declutter books and think oh well you know it's just about tidying up isn't it actually it's much deeper Mm. it's not it's more than common sense isn't it Um, I'm quite minimal by nature um, because my brain is so ridiculously cluttered all the time Mm -hmm. so what I can do is tidy up a surface but I'm quite happy to shut a drawer even if it's a diabolical mess Oh, shove it all in the cupboard. Yeah. Doesn't bother me. So sorting that out, beginning to sort that out, that's what what Dilly's book made me think about. Um, My husband's a bit of a hoarder uh, as well, which is slightly annoying. So he'll see a broken thing and he'll see it as possibility and full of life because he'll want to mend it. Mm -hmm. I'll see a broken thing and think I'm going to have to chuck that in the bin because I don't want anything to do with that because I can't mend it because I don't have those Mm -hmm. um, skills. Um, I just think it's a little bit as well about being in control, isn't it? And also that idea that you're... A career woman, a lot of Gen X women have this idea, don't they, that we're career women, so we can't be good at domestic things at the same time as Mm. being, but actually, when you tidy up, as I did when I followed, especially the drawers, followed Dilly's advice and got rid of stuff in the drawers. Those were my objects went from mm-hmm. the kitchen. I did think, well, actually, I could be quite domestic now because my tools are there for me to use. I really quite enjoyed it. And the bed linen thing oh, I is ex- that. extraordinary. So you'd we have this jumbled up airing cupboard, which mm-hmm. is just Armageddon, chaotic hell. Every time you open it, everything falls out um, because we've got four kids. So we mm-hmm. have all this bed linen constantly on the go, changing all the time because they drop coffee everywhere and tea everywhere. And I just put it all back in. But if you put it all together and then put it inside the pillowcase. The pillowcase from the set. This is like wizardry for a domestic moron like me. You put it in the pillowcase, then you've got them all piled up. Honestly, the spring in my step on Saturday, Mm. and also knowing that every time I opened the door, I wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't attack me, this pile (laughs) of washing and cleanness was just so exciting. I tell you, it's the small things, isn't it? (gasps) Oh, instead you have a beautiful pile. That's all we want in life, a beautiful, tidy pile. What I want to ask Dilly, though, is... Where does it all go? Because the other thing oh, yes. I did was the soft toys. And we've got mm. like four black bin liners of them. And it's quite hard to get rid of things. And I do feel when you take them out of the house, that's the real letting go bit, isn't yeah. it? All yeah. that stuff you're slightly emotionally attached to and you've yeah. actually physically got to take it out of the house. I bet you don't. You don't. As soon as you get back, though, you don't give it a second thought. That's what no. I generally find. It's gone. It's gone. Once it's gone, it's gone. What did you get rid of? 
Um, well, I was just, I was a bit minimal because I haven't quite got as stuck into it as you. I did get rid of um, single duvet sets because we don't have any single beds anymore, which I've kept since the kids were about eight before they got, no, ten really, before they got double beds. So I got rid of those, like gingham-y check ones. I don't know what I thought was going to happen with keeping them. So I got rid of those. And um, just, as I said, a lot of kind of beauty stuff, which I don't use a lot of, but it was just sort of stuff at the back of the cupboard. Quite That was quite yeah. pleasing to get rid of all of that, I have to say. Did want to get rid of Neil's, some of Neil's fighter bomber books about aeroplanes. He's got a book about knives. Oh, I see. What's he planning? Is he, is he secretly running, running a cult somewhere that's going to look after us when the world ends or something? Well, I don't know. Maybe that's what he, he's a very practical man, as you know. Um, but yes, he's got this book about knives, which is in the downstairs toilet. I mean, go figure. Go figure, yes. I did try and get that out of the house, but it wasn't happening. But never mind. <laughs> anyway, we'd be really interested to know how you, our listeners, declutter your lives. So why don't you send us an email, hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com, with your tips and stories about lightening the load, which we can talk about next season. We'll put a post on the Facebook group as well, of course. Yeah. I would like some pictures too, because I do pictures find of piles. pictures. Mm. Uh, well, the pictures are great on the Facebook group because the lady who cooked her um, lunch three times by accident because she oh, went to the make the beds put a picture up and it did make me laugh out loud. Yes. Um, and I really want to do, I really am looking forward to finding out more from Dilly because I'm quite clean. The rest of the family, all of them hoarders. Oh, goodness. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This week's special guest is professional organiser Dilly Carter, who joins us today to help us spring clean our homes and our lives. Founder of Decluttered Dollies, an organising and home styling service, Dilly has helped hundreds of her clients to cut the clutter and enjoy life more. And her role as a presenter on BBC One's Sort Your Life Out has helped her gain a legion of fans. Her new book, Change Your Space, Reclaim Your Home, Your Time and Your Mind, is set to get even more of the nation hooked on living better with less. Packed with practical home hacks and motivational ideas, it also tells the remarkable story of her upbringing. Being adopted from a Sri Lankan orphanage at the age of three, living in a cluttered and chaotic home as her parents' priorities were simply work, not to keep a clean and tidy house, and her mother's subsequent nervous breakdown which Dilly witnessed at the age of 11 and her subsequent bipolar diagnosis. 
Today at 42, Dilly lives in Hertfordshire with her husband Charlie, their nine-year-old daughter Nellie Reet and her mother Frida, who she has been caring for since her father died of dementia 13 years ago. Dilly says, when you have order in your house, it instantly helps to improve your mood. So now let's find out how to do it. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Dilly. Hello, thank you for having me. Well, we are loving your book. We have just been talking about it, in fact, uh, before you joined us, Dilly. Um, But before we get into the practicalities and also your life story, can we just start with the impact that you've seen on people's lives of getting their homes, their rooms, their stuff in order? How life-changing can it really be? Absolutely can be life-changing. I think once you teach someone how to use their space, more effectively it has such a knock-on effect on the whole family and that is the most satisfying achievement of all is to see how it has that ripple effect with everyone in the house not just the people that have you know brought you in to help them you got any examples Dilly, of people that you've just seen such change in i think one of the things that sticks with me is is the family that we're trying to foster And in order for them to foster, they had to sort their house out. You know, they had this lovely house, and but it just was, you know, cluttered. And it just needed a bit of reshaping and fine tuning. And doing that made such a big difference because they then, you know, could welcome children into their house. And of course, you know, my mum, you know, my own mum that I I helped, you know, through over the years and recently. So I think that's always the most powerful, most impactful type of change that I've seen. Let's talk about your mum a bit, because I think that's the time when living with her and how she was and her challenges with her mental health, that was the time when you began to realise in that chaos that you lived in. And I I remember you talking about going to the house over the road and realising people lived in a different way. It could be really tidy and it was much more healthy for you. Was that where it all started for you? Did you begin to think, do you know what, I could be good at this because of my own lived experience around it? Absolutely. I knew from a very young age that I didn't like disorder. I knew that actually I quite liked living with not very much and I didn't need very much. You know, I never had loads of toys growing up. I never had loads of things growing up. I liked to organize from a young age. I liked to always, I was always changing my room around and I was always going across the road to my neighbor's house and helping them do any types of household chores. You know, I got a lot of satisfaction from that. And it was only from, you know, when I was probably seven years old, I think when they, when my neighbors moved into my road. And I saw how they lived and I realised that how we were living wasn't how most people lived. And when I went to other neighbours' houses, I thought, God, everyone else's house is quite tidy. You know, everyone else doesn't have much stuff in their front room, but yet my house is. I wonder why that is. And I realised that I liked the tidy. I didn't like the cluttered. I liked having order in my life. I liked that type of feeling that I got when I went into my neighbour's house of, oh, it's all lovely. Everything's beautifully done. Everything has a place. The CD's by the CD player. The sources are by the hob. Everything seemed to make sense. And I love that. I love the structure. And I think as a child, we often think that kids don't care. They don't care. They don't, they don't need any type of order. They don't care. The house is a mess. They don't even see it. But they do. You know, the change in children that you see when their bedroom is ordered, when they have a place for everything, they enjoy it. Doesn't mean that they're going to keep it like it all the time, but they like the order because you have order at school. You have organisation at school. So why not have that at home? Why do we not have those same parallels at home? Because you'd never go into school and just, you know, throw the pencils on the floor, would you? You'd never put the paper in the wrong box. You'd put everything has a place. Everything is labelled. 
that structure comes from a very young age. And I think we forget about that, that actually our children are very organized at school. They know absolutely what they need to do. So let's try and bring some of that at, at home. Can you tell me what it was like at home? Because, you know, we're not all tidy people mm. and it is nice to be tidier. And we, mm. we understand that. But in your house as you grew up, it wasn't just it was a bit messy or it, it was different from that, wasn't it? My house growing up was was chaotic in so many different ways. You know, my mum being very poorly from, you know, the age of 11 had a huge effect on the house. Of course, you know, she was in and out of psychiatric care since I was 11 years old. She was sectioned probably 10, 11 times, you know, up until I was 20. So the house was never a priority, you know. And as a young child from, you know, age three up upwards until my teens, my house, the house was always a mess anyway. So when I got to 11 and started having friends around my house more often, you know, that's when my mum became really ill. So the house really did then take a back seat. Yes, it was messy. Yes, it was unordered. Yes, it was chaotic. Um, and, you know, my parents were, actually didn't spend a huge amount of time in the house because they were always working. So that's why it took a backseat. That's why they didn't care about it. And then obviously my mum's poor mental health that then declined from for the rest of her life meant that, you know, she never was going to pay any attention to the house. So from when I was young and when I look back, now I realize that, you know, our whole house, it never, it, it never was decorated. You know, they never did anything to the house, never changed the color of the wall, never changed the wallpaper, never bought a new bed. They might have bought new mattresses, if I remember, but I never saw my mum and dad spending. They didn't buy lots of things, you know, because all they did was work to give me this amazing life. But actually what happened was, you know, they were spending more time working than actual time with me in the house. My my neighbours practically raised me. So it's really strange that actually I naturally went across the road to this safe, not safe place, but this place where there was order, there was structure, there was a family there. That was the, that they were the who I spent my Christmases and birthdays and everything with more than my own parents, because my parents were either very poorly. My mom was either very poorly in and out of hospital or they were working. I talk very openly about the fact that my relationship with my parents was very functional. You know, it was a functional relationship. It wasn't a, you know, loving relationship, nurturing relationship. Oh, mum, you know, let's talk about, you know, girls problems. Let's talk about boys. Let's, it was none of that, you know, whereas I had that with my daughter. I, it hasn't now followed through. I'm just now very aware of what a healthy relationship with a mother is because it wasn't something that I had. And, it, and it's not that it wasn't a healthy relationship, but it just was not a normal relationship, mm. as, as most people would deem a normal relationship. And obviously, you were very, very wanted because you were adopted from a, from an orphanage in Sri Lanka. And, um, you know, you've talked about the teenage years and your relationship with your mother. But where are you at now? Because you are caring for your mother, aren't you, to a certain extent? She's living in your family home or in an annex in the garden. How has the relationship evolved and changed? I don't think my relationship has changed at all. In, in the time that I was young to now, I think we have exactly the same relationship. It's still as functional as it was when I was young. You know, the only difference is she's closer in proximity to me now. You know, the reason I brought my mum to the end of our garden, the reason that we made this decision was because I still, you know, completely value the relationship that I did have with my mum, that I do have. You know, I absolutely, you know, love my mum to pieces, but it just is that functional relationship. You know, I'd be devastated if anything happened to her. And we're not so distant that I wouldn't have her in my space because obviously when her mental health declined and her house got really, really bad, you know, I came home and I said to my husband, I can't leave my mum like this hours away in Somerset when I'm here. 
you know, we need to bring her closer. We need, how can we make this work? You know, we were a young married couple that needed to buy a house. My mum had a house, um, but she also needed care. So we're like, well, maybe if we talk to my mum, she will sell her house, help us buy a house and she can live with us. But what that then meant is obviously I was caring for her. So we care for her. Um, in terms of I do her washing, her cleaning, her ironing, um, anything like that. But I also have carers that, you know, keep on top of her her tablets and her medication mm-hmm. because my mum is bipolar. She was diagnosed bipolar, you know, probably not till I was in my early 20s. So for 10 years, I feel, I mean, it's so sad because I think from 11 till probably I was 21, she was undiagnosed. She just, they just threw her into a mental asylum. She just had lots of all of the wrong tablets and all the wrong medication. And it wasn't until the last, you know, 10, 15 years that she's been on, on sort of a track. But with bipolar, you relapse a lot. You know, you have episodes, you're manic, you're low, you're manic, you're low. So it's very managed by, you know, 30 tablets a day. So you're together, you've got your mum, you've got your daughter who you're mothering yes. and you're married to Charlie, who, yeah. I mean, I know he he's allergic to cats and yeah, well. a cat, didn't she? <laughs> tell, us, um, tell us a little bit about Charlie and where you met. Yeah, um, so I met Charlie when I was 18, actually. We, we met when we were 18, fell in love hopelessly and dated for 10 months. And then he was just too nice at the time. But maybe later on, you'll, you'll be right. But at the moment, it's not. So we ended up breaking up. And then it wasn't until I was 30 that I got a phone call um, saying, have you heard about Charlie's mum? And I was like, no. He's like, Charlie's mum's been killed in a car crash. And I messaged him and said, look, I, I work in private houses. I clear houses. I look, you know, I organize houses. I do everything. Let me come and help you sort your mum's house out. You know, look, I've heard about your mum and I'd really like to help you. And he was like, oh, you know, I'd love that. I'm coming back from America. I've been working in America. I'm coming back in a few days. And I said, you know, I'd really love to be there for you at the funeral. You know, I know we haven't seen each other. He's like, no, 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 I'd love to see you. Because we always had this thing. And so I then helped him clear his mum his mum's house with the rest of his family. And we just spent these few t- these few weeks together and realized that, oh my God, it's exactly as it was when we were 18. Nothing had changed. We just we'd we'd got older. And actually the feelings we still had were the same. So we then ended up, you know, going to America, traveling, getting married, and uh, came back and settled in Hertfordshire. So yeah. It was always meant to be. He's a bit of a superstar then, because obviously not everybody would have their mother-in-law with mental health issues come to live in the family home. How did you make that work? So when I came back from getting married and I went to go and see my mum, and obviously I'd been in contact with my mum while I'd been away for a few years, she was okay and she seemed okay on email. And it wasn't until I got to her house that I realised that she was living in complete chaos there was just stuff everywhere you know you could barely get through the front door piles of mail I could see as I walked up the garden path that the house was just in complete disarray so I came back to Charlie and I said to him look you know we need to get a house my mum's like this you know what do you think about doing this and he was like absolutely you know how else are we going to do it of course we can do that and so for the first few years she lived with us in our space so how could we make it work? So we're not all arguing over the TV. We're not all arguing over the bathrooms or, you know, how do we make it work for us as a young family? So we had to give up some of our space in order for that to happen. So when my daughter had a playroom that was a conservatory, that now had to become my mum's front room. So it was better for us to have toys in our front room and my mum have her own space. So it was almost like she had a little annex of her own in the conservatory. And that's where she stayed with her cat. 
but you know, so it was away from Charlie, not too close. Um, so she had her own front room and her own living space. So then, you know, I could take her in her dinner, take her in her breakfast, lunch, whatever it was. And that sort of was sort of where she was all day. And then in the evening, she'd come up and go to bed in the spare room. We were looking at your Instagram, which is actually very helpful if anyone uh, should be following you there. But um, you wrote a really lovely post on Mother's Day about your, what well, you called it, your secondary infertility gang. We've heard uh, Women's Hour presenter Emma Barnett actually talk about this, but we haven't read much about the impact of being unable to have a second child after you've had a first child. So how old is your daughter Nellie now? Um, so Nellie is now nine. She's nearly 10. So for nine years, we haven't been able to get pregnant. So it's something that we're still trying to do. It's something that's not happened yet. Adoption was always in my path um, because I'm adopted. And so, you know, we've spoken about that as being something we might do. Um, so I've recently become an ambassador for Adoption UK because I feel like actually it's this is this is maybe where I was meant to be. I was an adopted child and now I'm going to go full circle, potentially adopt again. So let's see. I, I feel like secondary infertility is something that people don't talk about as much because it's almost like it's you should be so grateful you've got one. That is the problem that I think is is misconception because it's not that. And, you know, I think the yearning for having a child is still a yearning, whether it's a first yearning or it's a second yearning or it's a third. It's still something that some people, you know, desperately want. You know, I, I, I had this image of me walking down the high street with Charlie and two girls, and I still have that in my head. So I feel like that is still going to happen somehow. So it doesn't matter that it can't necessarily always happen naturally. You know, to welcome another child into your family like I was, I think, is, is one of the most selfless things you can do. So, you know, the ability to do that is is something that I'm hoping I'll be able to. What, what advice have you got for women um, or families adopting? I think the most important thing about if you're thinking about adoption or you're you're not sure about it is 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 to actually do it to go and speak to children that are adopted or go and speak to the agencies or or the or the charities like Adoption UK and, and have those conversations because I think it's not you know I don't think there are enough adopted children that speak out about how amazing it is I think of where I am now the things that I've achieved the paths that I've I had that I've taken so I've only been able to go down those paths because I was taken from another country and brought here. I, I've been given a, a new lease of life. All those opportunities that I was given, I've actually not taken any of them for granted. So I'm very, very grateful for the life that I've had. You know, yes, my mum and dad worked themselves into the ground. Yes, they weren't as present as maybe they could have been, but wow. And I think anyone that can't have children naturally or that want to have more children in their life and can't, but that just want to have a bigger family. I think how lovely that you are able to do that for somebody else. You know, I think there used to be a time, uh, you know, I think it may be 15 years ago, 10 years ago, I think when Madonna was adopting, Angelina Jolie was adopting, and people were almost like, oh, my goodness, why are they bringing all these children into their house? Why have they got so many? I remember it being a negative thing, and I remember them getting negative press about the fact that they were adopting all these children, five, four children, you know, however many children, four, five, six. And I thought, how amazing that anyone would want to give another child a home. How lovely that you can share your space with someone, your life, your finance, your money, everything, you know, the rest of your time with another person that isn't naturally your blood relation. Anyone that does that is is beyond a hero for me. So I think it's the most selfless thing you can do. Right. We think it's probably time now to get a bit practical. Yes. Um, and this, we've got some questions from members of our Facebook group. And this one is from Jess. 
And she says she is a ruthless declutterer, but she's living with a hoarder. (laughs) How do you find middle ground with a partner? It is very hard. You know, I think this is probably the most common question of all time is I'm tidy, I'm organized, but my partner isn't. What do I do? You have to always lead by example. So that's the most important thing is, you know, continuing to lead by example. You know, you do your part of the wardrobe. They don't do theirs. You, They can see how lovely it is. Maybe they will follow on. But I think sometimes people just think, I'm, I've asked too many times, I'm giving up. I'm not doing it. And so then they won't change the rest of the house because they think, well, it's not my my job to. We almost give up. So I think it's sometimes that you have to keep on. And as annoying as that is, you have to try and really want to make change happen. Because sometimes we do just go into ourselves and think, I'm tired of trying to make things change. You know, my friend is a perfect perfect example of this. She's been living with her boyfriend for nine years. And for nine years, he's been, an, you know, a spender. He spends constantly. day Every day, there's new packages coming into the house. And what's happened is it has completely taken over their spare room. Now, they've got a three-bedroom house. The spare room it has to be now their, their youngest child's room. So it got to a point eight years later that, you know, we now need this space for our child who's grown out of their box room. So you have to do something about it because it's now encroaching and affecting the rest of the family. So, Dilly, I'm a classic midlife woman, so this is a very common question to be asked. I'm very busy. I'm overwhelmed. I'm a bit tired. I'm worried about lots of things and change. So I'm walking around my house thinking... Do you know what? I'll just sort this out. This will make everything better. Where do I start as a as a midlife woman? I mean, it is a very unique feeling, I think. You know, before you get to about 45, you don't have all this pressure downward on you from everybody else outside of the house in a way. But where am I starting physically in the house? What's what's the first step that's going to relieve me of this everythingness? Uh, I think the most important thing that you can do is is begin with a space audit. A space audit is going to bring you back to the beginning. And what that means is that you start at your front door and you work your way through the house. So you walk into your hallway and you think, right, what do I like? What don't I like? Um, What needs to be moved? What could be changed? And you write this list for every room and you work your way through the house. Because then once you've got that space audit in front of you, you can then attack different areas at different times. So whatever you feel like, today you might go back to that list and go, do you know what? I need to let me just tackle those books that are annoying me on the bookshelf because I wrote them in my list of things that are annoying me or things that I need to reduce. Then tomorrow you might go the utensil drawer that is driving me mad for months. I'm going to empty it. I'm going to group it. I'm going to remove the things that I don't need and then I'm going to put it back. So you can do bite sized chunks. But the most important thing is to start with that audit first because then that really takes you back to ground zero to go right. Let's start at the crux of the problem. Let's go right back to the beginning. And then I can see where all the things are that I need to do. Because as well as doing an audit of the things we we don't like, it's also important to think of the things we do like. You know, there's so much good in our house. It's not all negative. And I think so so much of the time we look at our houses and think, oh, it's a mess. It's chaotic. The bathroom cabinet needs doing. The under the stairs needs doing. The wardrobe needs doing. This needs doing. That do. But actually, what we don't do is appreciate our house. At the beginning of the space audit, the first thing I ask you to do is go out of your house. Go out of your house, lock the door and take a step back. How lucky you are. How lucky you are to have a roof over your head. To have a roof over our heads is something that we sometimes don't take, we we take for granted. The fact that we've even got a house and that we can pay our bills. 
That's the first thing that we have to appreciate, that we've got a house. Then let yourself into your house and then start looking at the things that you can change, that you want to change. Because you might go into your hallway and go, God, I love that bit of furniture, actually. No, that is absolutely right. But what I don't like are the drawers. The drawers are chaotic. So maybe I can make that hat, scarves and gloves instead of being three drawers of paperwork and chaos. You know, and then you can go into the front room. You know, you know, what's around the TV? Do the bookshelves need doing? Now, are there toys everywhere? What can I change? What do I like? What don't I like? And it's literally just making that list as you go around your house. And then when you have got the time, you can work your way through that slowly. That's very good advice. Um, That's kind of bigger picture, isn't it? But there's also something called a dolly dash that you do. Tell us what a dolly dash is and maybe suggest some that actually people listening now, they could probably do while they're listening to this, right? What could they be doing? Absolutely. So a dolly dash is a 15 minute challenge to change anything in your house from a negative to a positive. Basically, that could be like your cutlery drawer. Let's have a quick quick flick through the cutlery drawer and tidy it up. Take out the chopsticks that you never use. Take out the car keys that don't belong in the cutlery drawer. You know, remove the things that aren't meant to be there, the 15, 20 Nurofen syringes and go and put them with a the medicine cabinet, you know? <laughs> so then, you know, your next thing, your next dolly dash might be the pots and pans. You know, just put them in, in size order from tallest to smallest or, you know, biggest to biggest to smallest or, you know, put all the pans together, put all the frying pans together. Your next dolly dash might be, right, today I'm going to go through my T-shirts. Let me have a look through my T-shirt drawer. Are there any that I don't wear anymore? What What do I love? What's, what fits me? What makes me feel good? You know, these are always the questions that we're asking ourselves. You know, do I love it? Do I need it? Does it bring me joy? You know, are they things that actually I really enjoy wearing? Because so many of us keep things that we don't love. You might have a drawer full of utensils and there's four can openers in there, one of which works. So, you know, in your dolly dash, you might go, right, Today is the day I'm going to go through my can openers. Tomorrow is the day that I'm going to go through my Tupperware because at the moment, every time I open the drawer, the Tupperware is spilling out. So, you know, today's Dolly Dash is my Tupperware drawer. So it's just about taking those bite-sized chunks of your house, you know, which you've done in your space audit. You've written it down that you know you need to do it. But today you're going to do your Dolly Dash of it. I like in your 30-day challenge, you talk about, you know, clearing up the spaces and being organised, but you also need people to get rid of 456 items. It seems <laughs> Now, like I live with a man who can't even get rid of Tupperware from takeaways. He just can't bear to see it go somewhere else. He thinks it might always come in useful. So we have piles and piles of it, which I now take out and recycle when he's not in the house so he can't see me doing it. But getting rid of 456 items, it's immense, isn't it? How, how would we do that? It seems like a lot, and it does. And if you think of 456 items, you know, that seems so overwhelming. So that's why this 30-day challenge is brilliant, because you increase the numbers every day slowly. So day one, we remove one thing. Day two, two things. Day three, three. Day four, four. And then suddenly, you know, by day five, day six, you're starting to get the bug. And actually what happens as well is you may think, right, today's only two things, but you go to your wardrobe to remove two things, you end up removing 20. So suddenly what it does is is slowly encourage you and motivate you to declutter, but in a very gentle, gradual way. So every month that has 30 days is when you will do it. What happens when someone resists that? I mean, you must have had people say, do you know what, Dilly, this is, I I just can't. 
I just can't see it leave the house. <laughs> you know, there are always things that we want to keep. There's always things that we're sentimentally attached to. So it's not about getting rid of the things that mean something. It's about getting rid of the things that don't mean something. Yeah, that you don't you know? use. And that, or... that you don't use. So I think people always think when we declutter, oh, God, you're going to make me get rid of everything. No, I'm, no, not absolutely not. I want you to keep the things you love. I just want you to get rid of the things that you don't need that are taking up your space. Because the space that you have in your house it, uh, it is so important, you know, let's enjoy the space rather than, you know, all the stuff that's around it. There's there's cluttering up our space. You know, we want to be able to enjoy our homes for the best version that they are. So on a similar topic, really, Fiona from the Facebook group was asking, she says that she's kept bags of things for years because she thinks she's going to eBay them <laughs> because she's going to make some money. She's going to eBay them. But she, of course, she never gets round to actually putting them online. She says, I can't bear to give them away to be free of them, even though they are probably way past marketable worth. And how do I rethink this? So she she knows it's just a mindset shift, isn't it? That she has to, she's not going to put them on eBay. <laughs> How does she convince herself? What she needs is to focus on the space that she wants that to be. Rather than just looking at the clothes, look at the space that those clothes are taking up. What do you value more? Do you want your spare room back? Do you want that corner of the room back that's got 20 bags of clothes that you haven't got rid of? So that's what you always have to think about is actually, you know, it's going to cause me far more stress trying to upload these and sell them and take them to the post office than it is having a clearer room very quickly if I can just chuck all those bags in the back of the car drive to my local supermarket where the, the clothes banks are and put them all in there and they're gone there are so many charities nowadays as well that come to your door you know that remember that you also get those bags through your door in the post mm. don't you that you can fill up so you don't even need to leave your house just fill up those bags it says the day of the week they collect them you put them outside it's gone and then you've got that space back Maybe now you can have a gym, you can have an office, you know, because you haven't got a room full of stuff that you don't need. So on, on that note, in the clear out, so I've got four children, so you can imagine the giantness of stuff we have to clear out. Um, we've never had anyone put any bags through the door for where we send stuff away. Where do you take the stuff? Because I don't want to put stuff in landfill. I feel upset about that and I feel like I should be using things more so I should use it more than but where who does collect it where do you take all this stuff especially electrics and all of that kind of thing what what's the way of getting rid of all of this there are so many different organizations now because so many people are decluttering because so many people are worried about landfill there are so many organizations that actually will help you declutter without cost and also you know that you can just take them too Electricals, you can take back to most stores that you bought those electricals from. Um, you know, makeup, you can take back to all the beauty. All the beauty shops now have, have recycling places that you can take back your old makeup and put it back and get it recycled into there. You know, every store, every supermarket now has somewhere you can take all different things from clothes to batteries to ink cartridges to plastic bags. You know, and there are charities that collect now from your house that are free that you can go online just put in your postcode and they will come to your house and collect them. And they then divvy those up, you know, between about six, eight charities that then put them in vans that, you know, take them overseas so that they're, you know, the, the countries, you know, on the other side of the world that need clothes will have them. Well, there is so much to, I mean, we could talk for hours about this. There is so much, so much more we want to ask you, Dilly, but obviously it's all in the book, Change Your Space, which, um, as I've said, we absolutely love. And we do actually have a copy to give away as a competition prize on our Facebook group. But also people can find out more because you are going to be coming to postcards from Midlife Live. Aren't yes, you? I am, which I'm very excited about. 
on Saturday the 20th of May so people can see you there and come and meet you and hear you speak as well. And uh, what, what will you be doing? What will you be sharing? Probably just more tips, you know, more tips, more motivation, more advice, anything. You know, I'm, I'm more than happy to answer questions and, you know, see how I can motivate people, you know, more than anything. It's, it's just talk to people about their homes and how they can make some changes. Brilliant. And they can buy their books there and get you to sign them too, which is Absolutely. fantastic. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us. And we thank look forward you. to seeing you again in May at the show. Thank you. Thanks, Dilly. If you'd like to get in touch with Lorraine and I, there are plenty of ways that you can do it. Why not send us an email at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com or direct message us at postcardsfrommidlife on Instagram. We always enjoy hearing from you, our lovely listeners, and we'll respond to as many of your queries as we can. And you can also join us on our private Facebook group, which is a forum for women to discuss the issues that affect us as we navigate this midlife. All you have to do to join is answer three of young Trisha's questions to gain access to the group, where you'll find information and friendly support to help you make the most of your second act. Oh, well, we loved talking to Dilly. She's just so brilliant and inspiring. And um, I've just, my brain is fizzing with ways yeah. to make my house better. Fizzing so much that I think we, you'd better kick off with the nostalgia noodle this week, Lorraine, if you would. So I have a little bit of rosacea, uh, which I've been battling with. I mean, it's not keeping me up at nights, but it's just a bit <laughs> annoying um, on the skincare front. So it's, it's a redness of the skin. So one of the things I've been trying, which the wonderful Caroline Hiron's mentioned, the beauty influencer expert, she came on the show, is uh, infrared light. So I've been using yes. a, uh, it's called the Boost uh, Light Salon Infrared Light. And it actually has removed the redness, which is great. So it's a mask that you use at home? Yes, it's a mask you put on for, yeah. 10 minutes every day and it kind of reduces the redness. So while I was doing that this morning and making all the children laugh, I was remembering another form of warm infrared light, Mm. Trish. Mm. (laughs) Do you remember in the 90s when you used to go on those funny sunbeds? Oh, God, yes. Awful. And you would go on them in... So in those days, you had to go on them lying down. Yes. And you would go on them just before you went on holiday and you'd try and do 10 sessions just so that you didn't, you know, this pale, ghastly, bloodless skin (laughs) was not harmed. I mean, they're so dangerous. So, so dangerous. And then I was remembering the time I went to one very quickly in my lunch hour and got stuck in it. I had literally 20 minutes and it just wouldn't open. Was it on? No, it had gone off and it went cold and there I was. Just lying there thinking, Trapped. I am the world's most impractical person. This, oh. I, I'm now going to be stuck here. And it was before you, they pinged open. In a little pool of sweat as well. Yes, in my little pool, a little bit pool of sweat, didn't you? Because we weren't, we were, our skin wasn't able for it. Lying there, Trish, thinking, how the hell, oh. this is not the way I wanted to go. How the hell will I get out of this? Did someone come and rescue you then? Uh, yes, someone came in because obviously they had another appointment. Yes. to come straight in because they were like a conveyor belt, weren't they? <laughs> oh, no, we were all at it. But you know what? My sister bought one. We had an at-home sunbed. She bought it with her. Honestly, she saved up her wages and bought one for our Celtic blue Irish skin. So it was in her bedroom. She she wouldn't really, she didn't really want me to use it. But it did end up probably staying in that room for about 10 years because we didn't know how to get rid of them. Exactly. We have to get Dilly in. We needed to declutter it. Dilly probably wasn't born then, but there you go. 
Uh, on that note, on the on the sunbed note, um, it's time to say goodbye, isn't it, for our yes. little break. Uh, we might be, might not be going to sunnier climes. It depends on whether the sun comes out at all in Cornwall. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for uh, joining our private Facebook group. And we will see you for season nine of Postcards from Midlife. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.